prophesying and talking about taking our hearts, a, a heart of stone, and preparing a heart that turns into a, a heart of flesh. That the fact that, you know, we wander around the manger and we kind of wander around Jesus, and he's simply saying, would you get in? Would you get in? Would you, would you come in here with me? Would you, would you enter into a relationship? No more a baby, but now a resurrected king. Will you speak to us today and prepare our hearts to make sure that we understand and that we worship the reason for this season, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen, everybody. Good to have you here. Jim's throwing gifts at me. If there's something nice in there, I'd greatly appreciate that. Oh, prime. <laughs> yeah, something from Amazon, I'm sure. So everybody's all stressed out, and it's almost all gone. You're almost already, you know, it's kind of like that high you get. You know, it's all, you're all, we're all stressed out. We got the stress, and we got the fun, and we got the joy, and everything else that's about it. And whatever anybody's uh, been a part of and, and preparing in their hearts, I, I want to just talk to you a little bit about today. And I guess there's probably no better way to start and to talk about it as the number one gift that's selling today. Did any of you see this? I was watching the news and the CEO for this Laugh Out Loud uh, doll. You all seen that there? The Laugh Out Doll Surprise, you know. I went on looking at some of the advertising, and it's like, here's your surprise doll, whatever it might be that comes out of it. And the advertising says something about that babies are going to be running the world, the Laugh Out Loud babies, you know. Get ready for it, you know, as if has the person that wrote that had no babies? Babies run the world now. Like, holy smokes, I had three of them, and they, they dictated everything I said, didn't spend my money on. The, the one for the boys, that one's for the girls, as you probably get. The one for the boys is this RD3000. This is an award-winning coding robot, you know. It does several different things. It can draw on different things. It has the ability to be programmed. But I just would like to put something up here that might send all of you into hives. Can you give me my next graphic up there? There you go. How many of you have a Furby or, let's let, no, 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 no. How many of you know somebody that has a Furby? None of us will admit it, yeah. Do you know there's no off switch on a Furby? How many of you know that, you know? It speaks Furby-ish. It looks like a, a cross between a hamster and an owl. And they're selling them more and more today. They're getting hooked up and connected somehow or another. I talked to my kids. My one daughter said that uh, she says she remembers her, her number one favorite gift was the, the Barbie dollhouse, which, of course, we had to put together and find out where the 200 stickers went on the stupid thing, <laughs> right? And y'all done something like that. I talked to a young man. He, he liked the Lego Western Fort. That, how, many of you, how many of you Legos? Where's the Lego? Look at Todd. He's holding his heart there. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Lego man right over there. And then this other one over here is my daughter, Daniela. Now, if you know anything about Daniela, she's a little dangerous anyway. I looked up. She says, oh, it was my Barbie rollerblading flicker and flashing thing. And I looked it up. You know, one of the very first things it says is dangerous. You know, one of the most dangerous toys. You know why? Do you know how they got it to spark and light up? They used flint that you use in a lighter. And it was lighting clothes or hairspray or things on fire. No wonder my daughter, Danielle, didn't burn the house down. But, you know, that's what she had almost all of her life. Any of you have a dangerous child, you know? That's kind of, everybody ends up with one of those. Uh, in your notes, I have the phrase, you know, a mixture of fun and stress. Oh, it's fun to look back. My kids are all older now. 
I can remember being so frustrated watching a video of me putting a three-wheeler together, one of those, those trike three-wheeler things, man. Uh, to watch it, I, I think I would need to go in to get some type of a therapy. It was tough. You put, I, mean, I look back now and I laugh, and I'm sure one day maybe I'll have grandkids and they'll help out with this, that, or the other. But there's this mixture of fun and stress. The stress comes, you're trying to find it, and there's all the pressure. And maybe some of you are better than I am and others at handling it today. But I would like to talk to you, if everything's leading up to Christmas morning, or if you open your gifts Christmas evening, can I talk to you a little bit about three perspectives? You know, weeks out, maybe a couple months out, heading into those. Number one in your notes, you can pull out your smartphone, go to the Bible app, and go to live events, and all of the notes are on there. Or inside your program there, you've got a set of notes you're welcome to follow along. It's pretty simple. Number one, it's from a parent's perspective. Three things I like to talk to you about, about these three different perspectives, the gifts and the costs and the, and the purpose, right? What do you buy your child? Do you buy them everything they want or everything they need or a little bit of both of those? Do you buy them clothes, you know? I was always so happy to get socks and underwear. <laughs> I, I could have cared less. I could have gone without socks and underwear all, all summer long. I didn't care about my bathing suit. Down by Lake Erie, we hung out, you know. Do you buy them something educational? And I know there's kids, they want something educational. Or do you buy them like that science kit so they could blow up half of your house? <laughs> you know, the gifts from a, a parent's perspective. And then you ask yourself the question, okay, how much we got to spend? How much we got to spend? What's the budget? You know, do, do you even have a budget, you know? I mean, I, I spoke with some uh, grandmother this past week. She told me this. I have a quote. She says, you couldn't walk in our living room. There were so many gifts. Literally, she said, there were so many gifts in their house. And she says, when they got married, she says, they had a little bit of an issue. How many of you husbands and wives, you know, somebody says, you buy this many, some say, you know, they have in their mind something that they want to create. But she did say this. She says, you know, I would have traded all of the gifts in our home for going to church and learning about Christ. She said, in our home, we didn't go to church. We didn't know about Christ. We didn't know about the fellowship and the joy of, of being with other Christians and that whole thing. You know, look at the purpose. You know, when a parent buys a gift, you got that time, you got that stress, you got the arguments about what to buy and where to, how much to spend. But what do you do uh, hope-wise? Uh, what are you hoping for? What is your purpose for each gift that you've purchased? You know, if it's something like Legos, they learn and they put it together, you know. If I got a Lego, I'd give it to Maria because she put almost every one of Joshua's together. I don't got the patience for that. I don't have the motor skills for those little things. You know, why do we purchase it? What is the purpose? Is it for an experience, to challenge, to educate? I have an idea. I say we wrap no gifts. Why wrap them? Why wrap gifts? Oh, well, I know they're going to be unwrapped, but thank you for shaking your head, sir. Uh, you know, why wrap gifts? I mean, they're going to be unwrapped. You spent time and stress and money on the paper and everything else. I'm just trying to lower the stress level a little bit. But if you check in history, one of the reasons that they began to, uh, to wrap gifts was the desire to hide the identification or the, uh, whatever it was of the gift until just the right moment. Just that right moment. If it's a birthday, that's one thing. If it's Christmas morning, right, when they just kind of all go tearing through. I mean, let me ask you a question. What's the right moment you buy your child a gift of a cell phone? 
Uh, you know, we use the excuse so we, 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 in case they get lost, you know. We'll put a beeper on them or something. Put a GPS on them, you know. What's the right time? What's the right time to give that gift? And I have in your notes Galatians 4, the fourth verse. Do you know this? Do you know that the Scripture says when the time had fully come? Not before, not after. Fully come. When the time had fully come, God sent His Son born of a woman, born under the law. At just the right time. Now, God sent Jesus at the right time. There were three things that were really, really coming together that weren't there thousands of years ago. Language, infrastructure, and the law. Let me give you just a little bit of insight here. When uh, many people were speaking in a lot of different languages, they started to melt them all down into Greek and Latin, and there was just a little bit of Aramaic in the time of Christ. But they were all starting to be able to speak each other's languages. They were learning that a little bit. And if you don't know, in John, the 19th chapter, verse 20, Pilate said he wanted here above the cross of Jesus Christ, king of the Jews in three languages, Aramaic, Greek, and Latin. The Jews didn't want that. Oh, no, they spoke Hebrew. They wanted Hebrew. But that's what he put there. They were all spe- Everybody that walked by in those three languages knew what that said. And Jesus was hung in the public. He was hung on a cross in public. It says it right there. The second thing I want to let you know, if you're a little historian, you know that Alexander the Great really began the infrastructure of roads, joining together towns and cities and nations, all starting to now, during several hundred years before Christ, to trade and to get used to each other. Now the ability for the, the gospel to travel many different places. And then the last thing I have here is Pax Roma. In case you don't know what that means, it means Roman peace. You see, the Romans brought about a law and a culture that brought peace. Because if you didn't listen to what they had to say, they would crucify you or in jail. They really brought about this peace. Here's this time, the scripture says, there's a right time to give a gift. And the scripture teaches the exact same thing of why you wrap it up and why Jesus Christ came about 2,000 years ago and not 3,000 years ago. The time was right. From every parent's perspective, the right gift should be given at the right time, and God the Father says the same thing. Let's take a look at the perspective of uh, Christmas morning from a child's perspective. Some of you are children. Some of you can remember that. Uh, the, The gifts, the cost, the purpose, you know, a lot of times, kids, the number one thing that is pushed on is what's advertised. As soon as I put up, laugh out loud, surprise doll, I saw faces. You guys all knew what it was. Probably some of your girls are wanting some of it. The other thing is, is does anybody here remember the Sears Christmas wish book? Yes, all you old people out there. <laughs> you young people, you, you had a Toys R Us book. But you know what? Toys R Us is gone anyway. I would go, I, I would get that book about that thick and I'd flip through it. All I had to do was write well, what page and what I wanted on it to my mom and dad. The perfect situation. Now the kids expect their mom and dad to know how to work the internet or go, go to the Amazon or something like that. But, you know, what's a child's perspective on gifts? Hey, what's being advertised? What are my friends getting? I got an HO race car set because my friends had an HO race car set. I wanted one like that. You get bragging rights. They're looking for the biggest gifts, kids, right? I think we are too. They're looking for the shiniest gifts. They're looking for gifts, gifts, gifts. And they don't really want something small. They somehow think, man, if it's big and and if it's bright and if it's shiny, there's something great inside of it. That's a kid's perspective. 
probably mine too. <laughs> Especially if my wife wraps up a new car and puts a bow on it, I mean. How about the cost? How many kids? Let me give you two different scenarios here. There are most kids, they don't have a clue what their parents spend. Maybe at some point they do, but when they're young, cost? No, no, I want this. And then it gets to, you know, I need this, Mom. I need this, Dad, right? That's how it comes down. I need this. I got to have this, you know. I did speak to somebody who's a grandpa, and he said when he was little, Henry, I'm talking right now, all right? He, he can't wait for his gifts, man. He was saying to me that when he was growing up, he, he grew up in maybe something like some of you folks, you know, uh, it, it was tough. His mom would take and she would buy gifts that dad really didn't think they should get or afford, and she'd put it in layaway. Some of you remember that, you see, right? Layaway. And he'd find out about it, and he would hear his mom and his dad fight about the amount of money that they were spending. And he basically told me, he said, Evan, I didn't want Christmas. I didn't want my parents fighting. I didn't want to be the cause for it. He literally said, I don't want any gifts. Two different perspectives. Some understand and some don't. But what's the purpose of a gift from, from a kid's perspective? What's the whole purpose of Christmas morning and fun? And there may be some, like I said, that they may want something educational. You know, that, that Furby does some drawing and different things or that, that RD3000. You know, did you ever, though, go looking for your gift? Moms and dads, they buy them, and before they wrap them, they hide them. I probably shouldn't be telling you this, right? (laughs) They're trying to hide them. How many of you ever went looking for your Christmas gifts? How many of you ever found it? I found it. You know what happened to me, sis? I was looking for the HO set. I looked underneath mom and dad's. I saw it underneath there. I was so excited. I woke up, unwrapped the gift. It was something else. My mom and dad weren't sure which one it was. I was just like, this isn't what I saw under the bed. <laughs> but they did eventually get it right. You know, parents are hiding the gifts and wrapping them. Look at Matthew, the second chapter, verse 1 and 2. The, the passage of Scripture teaches us something that you need to know. Maybe you've never thought much about it. I need to know that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he uh, was born during the time of King Herod. And, and the Magi, which were normally traditionally known as wise men, uh, they were, uh, came from the east, probably the Persian area and that. And they asked this question, quote, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Why does the Bible even have wise men in it? What is the purpose of the story? Yeah, we all know they bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But why? Why are they traveling? Why are they spending their own money? Why are they getting uncomfortably traveling through the days? What are they doing this for? Why are they searching for Jesus? And the answer to that is, if you know anything about the Scriptures New Testament, you don't just stumble upon Jesus. You don't just happen upon Jesus. Oh, you may have heard about him. You may have read about him. But nobody finds Jesus unless they do what the wise men did. They went out looking for him. Matter of fact, Jesus in one verse said these three words, ask, knock, and seek. Does that not sound like what the wise men are doing? Does that not sound like, you may have heard about Jesus, but at some point, Jesus said, spiritually speaking, he made this promise to you, if you ask, it will be given to you. 
If spiritually you're knocking, I promise you, Jesus is not playing games that the door will be open to you. If you will seek me, you will find me. Nobody happens upon Jesus. It isn't just that he metamorphoses into you and to me. He is only in your heart or my life because I sought him like the wise man. Do you have any of what the Magi had? On Christmas morning, kids are going to be looking for one thing, a tag with their name on it. They're going to look all around and all through that. And they see their brother or sisters, this one, whatever. Oh, heaven. Don't you think Jesus deserves at least that much effort that we seek after him like the wise men? Number three, how about the perspective from God the Father? Do you know we're the one religion that actually has this relational word about our God, Father? If he's a father... He's got to know something about Christmas morning. Matter of fact, you all know that that's one of the reasons that we're here. And though I'm sure he would give out a, a laugh out loud doll, I don't think he'd give a Furby. He's not really that mean, you know. I, I think that if we were to think about it, if there was something that you needed that was maybe educational or something you needed that was really necessary, I, I think that that would be the thing that he would give you. And if you open the scriptures, you t- and I take a look at the fact that there was something that you and I really, really needed. There was something you and I really needed when it came to a gift and when it came to the cost and when it came to the purpose, man, he had it all down. Because there's one thing that his children on earth needed and that was saved. You can like the word or not like the word. It's not my word. Say the word, whatever it might be, you look in there and God the Father saw that the best gift that we would get and what we would need, He would see our greatest need, and that was that we would be separated from Him. That there was this stain on us, that there was a sinful nature that is passed on to every human being. And if God the Father saw that, He would certainly do whatever He could, if He could, to give us that gift. And it's found in a very familiar passage of Scripture. John 3, verse 16. Wouldn't be surprised if you don't see it in a football game. For God so loved the world that he gave. Here comes his gift, everybody. God is a giver. We actually did a Bible study two weeks ago on the different ways and that God gave or had given, given, given. God is a giving God. Not a lot of people want to receive what he's got to give, but he's there and he's giving. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not, here's the word, could you underline it, perish, but have eternal life. Could you underline those two words too? Because the gift and the cost is the same. It's the Son. Somebody who was not with sin that would give his life for sin for you and for me. That's the Father's perspective is the greatest gift would be His Son, somebody that could give us eternal life. The word perish there is the word for separation, to be separated, to be doomed, damned, condemned. That's, that's, that's what the word means. And so He says, it's not that I want you to perish. He says, what I want is I want you to have eternal life and therefore the gift of His Son. And like I said, Jesus, you don't just happen upon Him you got to know, hey, I, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need Christ. I know I'm not following who Christ is. Uh, I look at verse 17, which I think many people uh, just kind of skim over. So interesting. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, 
but to save the world through him. Two opposite words there, condemn and save. See, people will say, well, you see, it says right there, Jesus didn't come to judge us. He came to, you know, he's not. No, 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 everybody. The word condemned actually means sentenced to a particular punishment, especially death. Condemned to a particular punishment. So you have to know and understand that there's no way God would send his son to this earth if he didn't have to. It was easy for Jesus Christ to stay where he was. No pain, no problem, up in a big, lazy boy just enjoying eternity. But he said, I'll go. God the Father's son said, I'll go. Because everybody born into the world, I'm sorry if you don't know this, we stand condemned. You just keep reading. We stand condemned. Because of the sinful nature, separated from God. A work has to be done in order to be saved, which is the word redeemed. Jesus Christ came not to condemn something that's already... I have a friend who refurbs homes. Every once in a while, he'll get a home that's condemned. Yellow tape around it. Do not enter, you know, the city, the state, the sanitary, you know, stay out, get away, you know. He's not the one that condemned it. Somebody else condemned it. But he is the one that knows how to get it to the place where it can be saved and refurbed and sold. He's done it many times. And if a human being could do that with something that's condemned, what could Jesus Christ do with my soul, your soul? The perspective from God the Father is, Evan, you have a sinful nature. The gift from the Father he gave, it was educational, it was necessary, and it brought joy and peace. It was educational because now you've been educated. Open your Bible, check it all out. See if you are not condemned and you are not all looked at as as sinners. There'd be no sense in me having you come here and feeling really good like the News Herald said today. Santa Claus wants all kids to enjoy wonderful things. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And that's great. But Jesus wants something else. That's why he came to give his life. And that's though we talk about a, a, a little baby. He's not a little baby anymore. He is the king of kings. He knows the process to take something that's been condemned and redeem it. And many of you are living proof. But is there somebody today that that's not accurate? That's not true. I mean, 2019, Christmas Eve. That would be a great time to do that. So in your notes, I have sweetness this Christmas. Folks, <laughs> there are people that are making and baking. My wife, my daughter Daniela and Elizabeth, they took a picture after like the entire half of the day. Tables full of cookies. I got a gift today that's going to put me in a diabetic coma. Thank you so much. <laughs> cookies. Oh, I, got, I mean, it's a sweetness time of year, but you know the word sweet can actually be used to describe somebody, not me, I, I, I know that, and I'm probably more like my wife, you know, Maria, she's, she's sweet. And then we say, why? Well, she's thoughtful, she thinks of other people, you know, she's, she's not a jerk like Pastor Evan, you know. <laughs> and then we tell somebody that they're sweet. There's this song that I'm going to ask if uh, April and David would come. There's a song, and it's titled, Sweet Little Jesus. I want to give you a little bit of information about it, and I want you to listen to the song very, very carefully. There's a line in this song for the reason that we say Jesus is sweet. I want you to listen, just like 
so, somebody sweet. Oh, they always remember my birthday. They're so sweet. They thought of me at Christmas. They're so sweet. There's a reason that Jesus, don't forget to diagnose that thing up or down, whatever you're supposed to do. I gotcha. But the story behind this song is so interesting. His name is Robert McGlimsey. You know, he, he was influenced like uh, so many different songs. One snowy Christmas Eve in New York City, 1934, Monica, I know you weren't even born yet. He's walking home on the streets, and he's following a church service. You know, he's, he's done with church. He's home. He, he's kind of struck by the drunkenness of Christmas parties he passed on the way home. You know, he wondered how people could be so disconnected from the real message and the history of the season. He said, how could they have forgotten Christ? And he grew up in Louisiana. You know, a lot of people think this sounds like a, like a black spiritual song, one of those, uh, uh, spirit, but, it, but it isn't. He was white, but he had a lot of friends. He had a nanny who was African-American. He drew on the histories and family stories of the sacredness of Christmas from his black friends and neighbors in Louisiana. To them, he recalled Christmas was a time of worship a time of drawing closer to God with very personal forms of prayer and deeply meaningful songs of praise. Sweet little Jesus. Why did Robert use that title? Can you listen to the words and find the reason why he called him and labeled him as sweet? Now, maybe to you, it might be something different than for somebody else. But for me, I have it in your notes. The one line that was there that I see more than anything is, didn't know you come to save us all to take, and I just put my sins away. How about you? Can you say that? Is a part of that song, is a part of what? To know, to be educated, to know and understand that that is exactly what has happened to us. And that the sweetness of Jesus Christ came because he gave his life for us. He's not in a manger anymore. And I have in your notes, growing up, right? Sometimes we say, you know, growing up kind of just takes away that all, that kid-like faith. But, you know, I think that as you grow up, I have followed an awful lot of very intelligent men and women who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, growing up creates a problem that in, intelligent people have to deal with. Can I give you two? Number one comes from the Scriptures. Number one, in the Scriptures, the first 11 chapters describe many, many different things you find in this world that are not there because of anything else for evolution or anything. Let me tell you this. How many of you see kinds being reproduced after kinds? Whether they're plants or animals or people. How does evolution explain that? How many of you know that the reason there's seven days in a week is because that's the way it was in the beginning? How many of you take a look at the book of Genesis and you see the reason? Why is there sin and death in this world? If evolution is bringing everything up, what do you do with sin and death? Chapter 3 of Genesis tells us why. Why is there such an institute called marriage? We know one man and one woman come together. Where does that come from? It comes from the scriptures. Why are there different languages in the world, everybody? How does evolution describe that? How does somebody intelligent say, well, the Bible tells us why? 
I know, Evan, you're saying that that's everything inside the Bible. It's everything inside the Bible, yeah. But can I give you something outside the Bible? Something that was not given to us by some kooky Christians? Uh, something that was given to us by, by Christians? You know, uh, I'm sorry, by, by scientists and by science? You know, the whole DNA thing? Have you studied that? Have you beginning to look at that? When I was a kid, the biggest thing that we could see was a cell. Now they're talking about DNA. And they're talking about DNA, and they kind of make this comparison. You know how everything on a computer is ones and zeros? Putting a man on the moon, right? I would have Waldy give us a little education here, but it'd be way over my head. But what they're doing with DNA is they're assigning letters to it. And just like there's about um, 25,000 words made up of letters in 100-page book, you know, they, they say in a 1,000-page book, you got about 3 million words. They say the DNA structure is characteristic of who you are. Now, this is scientists. I just did some reading after them. They, they say it's who you are. The fundamentalness of who your characteristic of who you are is found there. Now, let me see if I can share something with you uh, a, a little bit beyond what I understand, but... What I do understand from one perspective, I know that if a book is written, all of the letters and all the words have an author. And as they begin, and I just read they started to assign four more letters to the DNA structure, there are three billion base pairs in each cell fit into a space of six microns across. What's, what's a micron? Well, six microns is six one-hundredths of a millimeter. One DNA. And then they said if you took it and you stretched it out, it would be six and a half feet long in one cell. Now take all of the cells in your body and in mine, take all of the DNA, put them all together, it would wrap twice around the diameter of our solar system. Who wrote the code? Who put the letters together? Who put the DNA together? Who's the author? I think that that really begs you and I, intelligent people, to know and to say and to understand who it is. If I could ask the worship team to come forward, I would just like to close with you here today with a question. I think that everything that we've taken a look at today, if I could ask you a question, if, I, if you could just bear with me and you could be kind to me so I could ask you this question, which gift would you rather have? I got one up here of this pile of gifts. Maybe you've heard about it. You heard about this lady? Emma Tapping. Look at that lady's mouth is wide open. You don't buy that many gifts for your child? This woman brags about the gifts. She brags about the thousands of dollars she spends. And whatever, I mean, whatever, whoever, whatever. I mean, she was getting trampled on social media, everybody. She says she likes a pile there where you almost can't even see the Christmas tree. So that's, that's one option. Or you could have this one little simple gift of a Savior. Today, on that tree and on that tree is a picture of the beginning of God's beginning of a baby in a manger. Somebody we know crafted this. You won't find this anywhere else but here. And so uh, we're going to close with the song, you know, uh, 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 Children Again. And I'm going to just ask you, if you're a Christian, you're welcome to come and get I mean, you're, Anybody here is welcome to come get We want you to have one. There, there's 200 of them, 100 on each tree. No, no problem today. But would you possibly make that the time when you're going to choose the gift of Jesus Christ?
Could this be the time that you choose the gift of Jesus Christ? And if you do, I want you to know that there are Bibles on each side of the stage. It's a gift from us to you. There's a compass in there with the reference that Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock on either side of the stage. Don't just come get an ornament. Come and grab a a Bible that will help you ask, seek, and knock. The Bible is God's Word which opens to you and to me something that has never been seen before, and that's the fact that God so loved you. He gave His one and only Son. And this is just an opportunity for us to just give you an opportunity to say, yes, I choose Jesus. At any time during this song, if you want to just come through this middle aisle here, come up, grab an ornament, don't knock the tree over, circle back around, same over there. We have a gift from us to you, but you can make it so much more than just an ornament. You move as the Lord leads you.